You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Deke Hager. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, November 21st, 2022. I don't want there to be a bigger jail with more people incarcerated, but I do think that it's important that if we're going to have jails and that is the reality that we're living in, that it is able to provide, you know, the constitutional level of safety and care for the folks that are incarcerated. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Kayan Tara reports on ongoing complications with rezoning the potential new jail. More in today's feature report. I have decided not to run for re-election next year. Also coming up in the next half hour, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton announced he will not seek re-election in 2023. Two Democratic candidates confirmed they are running for mayor in the next election cycle. More in your daily headlines. On November 16th at the Bloomington City Council meeting, the council discussed the petition from Peerless Development to vacate the alley next to the Johnson Creamery building. Council Attorney Stephen Lucas explained the petitioner's proposal to give the city a separate alley in exchange for the alley vacation. I believe the petitioner, uh, in response to comments at the July 20th meeting, has been uh, working to uh, pursue a relocation of of this alley. Uh, They they looked at a few different mechanisms, and I think they landed on this dedication of -of right-of-way as the most direct uh, route. Uh, in working with city staff, uh, they uh, discovered that uh, dedicating the, the blue strip first and then coming back to the council uh, posed challenges. I think there were certain points of no return that they felt, and, and uh, uh, Mr. Cordero or, or Mr. Patrick can correct me if I'm wrong, they, they felt uncomfortable passing those points without uh, knowing that the council would in fact vacate the, the red portion. Uh, in addition, uh, there was a wrinkle that if they dedicated a new alley first, uh, they would have to dedicate, uh, they were told, I understand that they would have to dedicate that little white strip in between uh, uh, to make it contiguous and then come back to the council and ask that that plus the red portion be vacated. Uh, so there, there were these odd hiccups um, that led them to the point uh, where we are now, uh, where they would like, uh, they're requesting that the council vacate the the existing alley uh, with the uh, intent that they will propose uh, dedicating the the blue strip uh, next week. Uh, So if the council uh, was intending to uh, vacate uh, the existing alley uh, with the um, uh, hope that the city would accept a new alley shown in blue. Uh, That's why uh, Mr. Seabor is here tonight to explain the recommendation the Board of Public Works is is, uh, set to receive. Um, I I will note, um, uh, should the council vote to vacate uh, this alley tonight, uh, I believe the petitioner is on the agenda for the November 22nd, uh, next Tuesday, Board of Public Works meeting. uh, In in working through this issue with uh, uh, engineering staff with uh, city legal and the mayor's office. Um, I just wanted to note the mayor uh, does have a 10-day period from uh, the council's passage of an ordinance and the clerks presenting that to him to sign uh, or, or veto the ordinance. 
Uh, so it, it may very well be the case that the mayor waits to see what happens at the Board of Public Works meeting to decide whether to, uh, to sign this ordinance. That's an option open to him. Uh, I think especially if the council indicates some desire um, uh, to make this vacation uh, depend on on the acceptance of the of a new alley, uh, that that's one avenue he can help facilitate that. The council tonight can can simply decide to vacate the existing alley, uh, and uh, that's that's the question before you. If if you would like to do so uh, with the hope that the blue alley will be accepted by the board of public works, I'd encourage you to make that that clear tonight. Council member Susan Sandberg asked if there would be any benefit to the public having the new alley Peerless has proposed or if there would be any consequences. City engineer Andrew Cybor responded that he does not think that there are many benefits to the public and said it would add additional work for the city to take care of the new alleyways. I think the, the harm, I think actually the, the peerless representatives touched on is, is just the potential of the long-term maintenance costs um, of taking that into the public's inventory, recognizing it is really serving a private property, it's not much different than if some I wanted to dedicate my driveway to the public, so now I don't need to maintain my driveway, um, and now it's the taxpayer's responsibility. All right. Thank you for that. Council Member Steve Volan said that they already have the responsibility of maintaining the current alleyway, and he didn't see a problem with maintaining the new alleyway since they would be swapping the alleys. Council member Matt Flaherty said he would vote to vacate the alley and that his decision was not contingent upon the inclusion of the new alley. So applying the exact reasoning shared by the administration as to why they would not recommend dedication of the proposed blue alley, if we apply that reasoning, then in fact we should be voting to vacate the red alley tonight. Um, and that's what I intend to do. Uh, and... Um, I guess I should also clarify that for, that for me, my vote's not actually contingent on the dedication of the, the blue alley either. Um, I'll defer to staff on their recommendation to the Board of Public Works um, if they don't think it's in the city's best interest at that point. Again, applying that reasoning consistently, I think we should vacate. And if they want to recommend uh, uh, a negative uh, finding for the BPW, that's okay with me. Um, I think also the fact we, we kind of glossed over, didn't discuss this much in the past. Uh, we talked about affordable housing as one type of uh, uh, public benefit that we like to see potentially uh, in a context like this, but we didn't actually talk about the sustainability features that the um, project, uh, the, the design that's been approved uh, will incorporate. Uh, so there's kind of two pathways to uh, the incentives portion of the Unified Development Ordinance. There's an affordable housing component and there's a sustainability component. Um, so especially given the fact that um, the proposed design as approved by plan can commission contingent on this alley vacation will incorporate those features and also be adding, um, yes, market rate housing, but in a uh, important uh, sort of downtown infill location, I think, uh, that aids uh, walkability um, and even for folks who drive uh, lower emissions generally because they're close uh, in proximity to, to amenities and jobs. Uh, I think this is uh, enough of a public benefit that it, that it makes sense to me. The council voted to approve the petition in the case that the Bloomington Plan Commission approves of the alley swap. The vote was 6-1 to one with council member Dave Rollo voting no on the alley vacation. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on November 30th. On November 15th, at the Monroe County Council meeting, Commissioner's Administrator Angie Purdy asked the council to allocate an additional $25,000 to the service budget line from the food and beverage line to help with the deficit, which Purdy explained was due to 
the cleanup of two encampments where people experiencing homelessness have been living, and the appraisal of the convention center. We are presently um, finding that in this this account line, we are currently in the negative about $20,000 at this point in time. And uh, the $25,000 will help get us through hopefully the end of the year. Now, what um, has happened is we have paid for appraisal services out of this um, line um, specific to the convention center. So I'm going to be asking to get on the fab tax um, agenda to see if they would approve the use of our um, food and beverage funds for that purpose. Councilmember Jeff McKim asked if they were asking to be reimbursed for cleaning up the camps along with the convention center appraisal. I just see that the um, narrative refers to the, um, the cleanup of encampments as being one reason why this line is so depleted and then goes on to say, that the intention is to request FabTAC to um, to reimburse, but you're you're saying the request to FabTAC would only be for the appraisal of county buildings related to the convention center. It doesn't actually have anything to do with the encampments. The encampments oh, is just why the line is okay. Pretty clarified, they would only be asking the Food and Beverage Tax Advisory Committee to reimburse them for the appraisal of the convention center. The cost of the encampment cleanup was only included to explain how the line got depleted beyond the original budget. Yeah. Yes, I actually, I didn't reference the encampments when I was speaking out loud. It is in the document here. Um, those are costs that we have incurred, but those costs plus the convention center um, expenses that I think that we can um, get reimbursed from, from FabTech, they have, they're two very separate things. Um, the only amount we would be requesting would be the cost of the appraisals on the convention center from FabTech. McKim also asked how much the cleanups have cost. Purdy said she didn't know how much it amounted to, but said they were expensive. Councilmember Trent Deckard asked if there were any plans to prevent the encampments on government property in the future. Purdy responded. I don't think that there's that we have any new plans. Um, I am part of a, a group that's at the Heading Home, and so that's that group is looking at alternatives to, um, for people who are, are sheltering on the street or, you know, are not not finding shelters. Um, so the community as a whole, I believe, is working on that, con that, that problem that we have. Um, Monroe County government is doing the best that we can to mark our properties as no trespassing and, and that you can't store your goods or camp there. Um, but um, when people are looking for a place to, to stay, they are inventive and find areas that we did not know until, until it becomes um, generally brought to our attention by the public. That's, that's how it, we've become aware of both of these encampments. The council unanimously approved the request to appropriate the funds from the food and beverage tax account if the food and beverage tax commission approves of it. Councilmember Marty Hawk was present on Zoom but unable to participate in the vote because she was sick. The next Monroe County Council meeting will be held on December 6th. On Friday, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton announced he will not seek re-election in 2023. Hamilton reflected on his mayoral term and looked positively on Bloomington's future during his departure speech. I'm excited about Bloomington's future, where we're headed. 
but I also want to let you know, uh, after a lot of thinking, it's not an easy decision, I have decided not to run for re-election next year. It was a hard decision. I'm really excited about what's going on in Bloomington and our future, and there's so much more to come. Uh, but it really just felt right uh, to look at an eight-year service, uh, two terms, uh, as Don and I talked about it, thinking about it, that that felt like the right time to turn the page on a new chapter. Not, not to run uh, just because I could run and win another term, not to run uh, just to be mayor, but really thinking about uh, what's the right fit for our family and my future. And, and I feel good about it, though it was just tempting to run, but I, I just have decided not to. So I wanted to let you know that. Now, there are 13 months ahead of great work, exciting work. Um, uh, we're kind of in the fourth quarter of the game, and you know a lot of really good things can happen in the fourth quarter of a game. So I look forward to continued work on that with all of you uh, as we move forward. But at this point, I just want to say thank you uh, to so many friends, so many supporters, so many colleagues and partners who've helped make all of this possible. I'm so excited about where Bloomington is. We've raised the bar. Uh, we're ready to move forward well into the future. Uh, and uh, I look forward to watching that uh, after the next 13 months. Bloomington is strong and thriving, uh, and I can't wait to see how we go forward. Onward and upward we go. Thank you so much. Two Democrats have put their names in the running for Bloomington's mayoral seat. Last week, Executive Director for IU's Center for Rural Engagement and former CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Monroe County, Carrie Thompson, launched her campaign. According to her campaign website, Thompson is running on attainable housing and community safety. In her speech, Thompson said, quote, why are we spending millions of dollars on bike lanes and annexation lawsuits when we have people living in tents? End quote. Over one week ago, City Councilperson Susan Sandberg formally declared she's running for mayor on the Democratic ticket. When Mayor Hamilton announced he would not run in the next election cycle, Sandberg released a statement saying, quote, I have obviously had fundamental disagreements with John Hamilton on how we address some difficult issues facing Bloomington and Monroe County. These disagreements led to my decision to run for mayor, end quote. She went on to share how she was able to work together with the mayor on various projects, such as the response to the pandemic, despite their disagreements. As of this reporting, Thompson and Sandberg are the only mayoral candidates for the 2023 election. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Kayan Tara reports on ongoing complications with rezoning the potential new Monroe County Jail. We turn to Kayantara for more. The complex issue with the Monroe County's current jail and the task of building a new jail has been looming over county officials' heads for several years now. A criminal justice and incarceration study was commissioned by Monroe County in 2019, which detailed the problems with the current jail, notes Monroe County attorney Jeff Cockrell. At that point in time, we did the study, of course, and we we had it going and then, of course, COVID hit. So everything gets delayed a little bit. But we finally got the report back in 2021, the summer of 2021, and it, it covered a lot of areas. 
The report stated the current jail facility is failing and cannot ensure consistent and sustainable provisions of constitutional rights of incarcerated peoples. Jordan McIntyre is the executive director of New Leaf, New Life, a nonprofit that supports incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals in Monroe County. She's concerned a new, bigger jail will lead to more people being incarcerated just to occupy the space. I don't want there to be a bigger jail with more people incarcerated. Um, But I do think that it's important that if we're going to have jails and that is the reality that we're living in, that it is able to provide, you know, the constitutional level of safety and care for the folks that are incarcerated. The road to building a new jail has been fraught with challenges. First, with COVID-19 delays and extensive searches for viable areas within city limits to build, to areas accessible by public transport, and issues purchasing and rezoning the land, the task of building a new jail seems extremely complex. I think that the city and the plan commission has to review, you know, this versus, you know, other uses. But at the end of the day, this is a use that we have to have in the community. Monroe County Board of Commissioners approved a $10 million purchase agreement in July of this year to build a jail on almost 90 acres of land beside the I-69 and West Fullerton Pike. But issues behind purchasing and rezoning the land for the jail seems to mount. By a 6-3 to vote last Monday, Bloomington's Planning Commission supported suggestions which then sent a negative recommendation to the City Council about Monroe County's government's request for rezoning. The rezoning is required to convert the ability to build a jail on the property from mixed-use employment to mixed-use institutional. Before Monday's meeting, Lee Jones expressed the importance of acquiring this land for a prison. If they reject it, it still goes to the city council who could vote for it. And, well, I'm very hopeful that they'll understand the acute need and will work with us. Time seems to be running out. While Monroe County has a purchase agreement for the land contingent upon the rezone, this agreement expires at the end of the year. If for some reason that doesn't work out, we have identified a few properties out in the county that could be used, and um, that's what we would have to do. Then we run into more complex transportation problems, which probably could be solved. It might be more expensive. Um, And just access would be much more difficult, but that's that's what many communities have had to resort to. And if we cannot find land to use in the city, that's what we'll have to do. There are two more regular meetings scheduled for the city council's calendar this year. For now, it seems the reality of rezoning and building a new jail is still uncertain. For WFHB, I'm Kayantara. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. 
The program is available online at WFHB.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Georgia's Camden County Jail, security footage captured guards beating a black inmate. His lawyers are pressing criminal charges. 41-year-old Jarrett Hobbs was surrounded by staff and hit multiple times in the head and neck. Harry Daniels, Mr. Hobbs' lawyer, explained that the jail has refused to confirm whether the guards have been suspended or remain on duty. He stated, It's undeniable that Mr. Hobbs was approached by jailers and he was assaulted, punched multiple times in the back of his head, kneed in his head, and dragged out of his cell. This is a brutal beating, a brutal attack. After a public outcry following the release of the distressing footage, Sheriff Jim Proctor has opened an internal investigation into the incident. In the harrowing video, Mr. Hobbs is seen standing in the cell alone by the door when he picks up two objects which, according to his attorney, were a sandwich and a piece of paper. The video then shows a guard rushing into the cell and grabbing the inmate by the neck as he tries to push him to the ground and the beating begins. The Missouri Department of Corrections has banned physical mail for prisoners, claiming that printed material is a method for transporting drugs and other contraband. But despite the ban on mail, the high rate of drug overdoses in Missouri prisons has continued to rise. Missouri DOC leaders said they're actively tackling the drug issue by using body scanners, drug dogs, and regular checks for both visitors and staff. However, last week, corrections officers inside a Pacific Missouri prison said they witnessed 19 overdoses in a 24-hour period, much higher than the monthly average of 46 inmate overdoses across all Missouri facilities. Eric Harris, a St. Louis native and former inmate, says that he sees things from the other side now. For years, Harris has been working alongside current inmates and explains that fentanyl in prisons has become an epidemic. He stated, The fentanyl is in there, and we know people are overdosing on the streets, so you know people are overdosing in there. The people who are in charge, they have a responsibility to stop it from coming in. Both the Missouri Corrections Officers Association and a group called Missouri Prison Reform have stated that prison staff may actually be bringing drugs into the facilities. Tim Cutt, the executive director of the Missouri Corrections Officers Union, stated, The drugs are getting in there. There's no vetting process for employees. They found fentanyl on the work site somewhere, and two staff were exposed. It took Narcan to bring them back. Lori Curry works with Missouri Prison Reform, an advocacy group tracking inmate overdoses. They believe Missouri DOC is downplaying the number of overdoses happening in Missouri prisons. Curry stated, It's something we hear a lot about from family members. It's something we hear about from the incarcerated population also, but the amount, 19 and 24 hours, is extremely concerning for us. A spokesperson from Missouri DOC refuted these claims, stating that, No, there absolutely were not 19 overdoses recently at Missouri Eastern Correctional Center. Certainly not 19 overdoses in 24 hours. I don't know who your source is, but that claim is false. Tim Cutt added that while he believes the union's corrections officers, that Missouri DOC is, quote, just flat out lying. I mean, the public needs to know what's going on inside these prisons.
Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Kate Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with Katz Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Kayan Tara. Kite Line is produced by Mia Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky-Schneider. For WFHB, I'm Deke Hager. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 